They tell us that identity theft is a major issue, and it's constantly on the rise, and, and it's happening a lot. I'm just curious, how many of you have had your identity stolen as far as you know? Yeah, a few of you are putting your hands up. Well, this is going to alarm you a little bit. You may remember this past summer there was a report, and this happened in July, but it wasn't reported until we uh, made it to September, uh, that a company known as Equifax, which uh, basically holds all of the personal information of all Americans in terms of their credit and their social security numbers and all the private information that makes you you in terms of your identity and being able to purchase anything or have credit on anything. Well, Equifax reported, regrettedly, that they had had a, a breach of security and a hacker had made their way into their, their system in order to steal what they estimated to be half of all Americans had their identity stolen this summer. And, and, and I'm, I'm thinking this, if you didn't know this, um, you probably aren't going to listen to the rest of my words because you're going to be worried, is it me? Because you can go on their website and find out if you are one of them. Uh, half of all Americans, there's a lot of people, and that's just one incident. You know, there, there's, this goes on all the time. And, and people who have their personal information stolen, whether it's, it's through things we don't shred and we throw out with the trash and people find that, whether it be through credit card scanners and scams, whether it be through online hacking, and, and the list goes on. Uh, identity theft is on a rise. And they say that millions and millions of Americans alone have been inf infected by identity theft or affected by it. Uh, but that is, uh, adds up to something like, uh, I forget it, how many billions and billions of dollars, and it depends what report you read, has been stolen from people, and not just the United States, but from around the world. Uh, that's a major issue. And, and I've been thinking, my, my wife and I, we always say, yeah, it'll never happen to us. <laughs> and then a week before Christmas, um, it, I, I was looking at our bank statement in online. I'd just gone online, and, and was, we were doing some Christmas shopping, and, and I see all these multiple charges for hundreds and hundreds of dollars, like $700 worth of, of merchandise and charges. And I text my wife, I, I said, can you please tell me where you've been spending all this money and where you think it's coming from? And, and she returns the text and says, what are you talking about? I, I don't know what I spent. And like, how can you not know? And I'm all upset with her. And I'm like, oh man, when I, when I see her, we're going to have a talk. And, and, and then my phone starts ringing and, and, and it was a 1-800 number. I rarely answer those. I just let it ring, go to voicemail if it's important. It, it rang like three times through the course of the day and I kept ignoring it. The next morning, um, after Shane and I had a talk, she's like, I don't know what this is. And I'm like, how can you not know? I know I didn't make that, that, those, those, those uh, uh, debits. And, and we're looking at it. It's for clothing and it's for some other merchandise. I'm like, are you kidding me? And how do you not know? And, and then I... Get, keep getting that 1-800 number keeps calling and finally I answer it and I realize it's our bank calling uh, Genesis Credit Union calling it's our fraud det uh, detection department uh, please call us back and and uh, or stay on the line in that case because I caught the call and um, and I stay on the line and, and they tell me we we have reason to believe that your uh, your account has been compromised and stay on the line and then they start reading off on, on the call these, these charges. And they're like, have, is this one that you, you actually uh, uh, purchased? And, and I declined. I said, no, 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 no. And there were five of them. 
And at the end of that, then it said, now hold on the line. We'll be putting you in, in contact with one of our agents. And I talked to him. What's the first question he gives me after 40 minutes of going through the phone tree? He says, are you Shane? And I said, uh, I'm her husband. And he says, no, I, I need to speak with Shane. It is her credit co- account that has been compromised. Um, and is she there with you? And I'm like, no, she's not. And I'm thinking, well, how can I call back? We're going to have to go through the whole 45-minute process and uh, I text her, I said, hey, you're going to have to call. And she calls, and yeah, sure enough, it's her card. And we're like, how is this possible? I, and I'm, I'm mad. I'm like, well, where'd you leave your card? And, and she, when I saw her, she pulls out her wallet, and she says, it's right here. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, honey. <laughs> but then you wonder, well, how did they get her number? And, and I since learned, they said, well, sometimes it can just be you're standing in line at, uh, to buy something and somebody walks past you with a scanner and they can get your credit card information that way. Or it can be a false scan somewhere. It can be someone who, who gets it uh, online and steals your numbers. And, and, and then they make a, a real card from it. And we find out someone down in Indiana was going around using a false identity, pretending to be my wife, in charging up to $700 at multiple locations. I mean, this just makes you feel violated and threatened and overwhelmed. What can you do about it? And I'm convinced of this. You know, identity theft is a big deal, but it's nothing compared to the spiritual identity theft that has been going on long before online hackers and all the other issues we continue to hear about. This has been going on from the very beginning since the fall. When we've been hiding from God and trying to figure out how do we figure out our identity in this world and and being attacked by that. Like what defines us? Whether you've been hacked by hypocrisy, robbed by relationships, we're going to look at in a few weeks or some of the other ways we can lose our identity in this world today. I want to talk specifically about being pickpocketed by your past. I meet a lot of people as a pastor that continue to remind me that they are robbed of joy in, in their present tense world by their past. And they might even know the right answers about who God has called them to be, but they continue to be haunted by their past. Choices they made maybe years ago that were morally or ethically wrong, decisions that continue to impact them and haunt them and inflict damage maybe in their current relationships and their, their family or their, their spouse. Maybe it's, it's shady deals that they made in business that continue to haunt them or a reputation and, 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 and something that has gone around in, in their life that continues to haunt them of things that they did years ago. It's not just things they did, but it might be even things that were done to them. Maybe past sexual abuse or emotional abuse or, or abuse in, in, in the broken reality of how you grew up or, or, or things that happened to you while you were dating or, or things that continue to happen to you in your marriage that continue to, to plague the reality you live in today that you just can't get past it because it continues to rear its ugly head. And like it or not, it, it continues to define us. I always like that illustration and that example of, you know, when you, when you think of, uh, when you're driving your car and you've got your rear view mirror and that, that is a helpful device, but the thing is, is when you are pickpocketed by your past and when it continues to haunt you, that mirror has become so large that it's the reality of all that you see. 
And as you try to move forward, you see your reflection staring back at you in that mirror and you also see out the back window and all you can focus on is what you've done, where you've been, and it continues to inflict damage on the decisions you make and or cloud your vision of reality and your ability to move forward. And it's no wonder so many people are crashing and hurting and in pain and robbed of joy. Sometimes we don't even realize how much it impacts us because it's so self-subconscious, and, but yet it, it, it moves our worldview in ways that we don't even realize because we're plagued by guilt and shame of our past. It robs us of joy. It robs us of our identity. Maybe you've been pickpocketed by your past. Whether it's been something someone's done to you or something you've done. I, I always think of the... the the husband who continued for three years straight to forget his wife's anniversary, or him and his wife's wedding anniversary. And this was becoming a point of contention in their relationship. And finally, in the fourth year, he forgot it again. And she gave him an ultimatum. She's like, you know what? If there's not something parked out on the driveway tomorrow that goes zero to 200 in less than six seconds, it's done. We're, we're over. And apparently, they were a couple of means. And And so the next morning, she looks out on the driveway, and there is a package, nicely wrapped, sitting on the driveway. And she got all excited. She runs out there in her her bathrobe and, and goes, and she picks it up and brings it inside, and she opens it up all excitedly. And inside, sure enough, was a brand new bathroom scale. Uh, His funeral is coming up next week, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, The choices we make that continue uh, to plague us and cause issues. Things we've done, things that others have done to us. How do we break free and find renewal today? Now a lot of times you hear this, well you just need to forgive yourself. And I hear that a lot. The thought is, if I can just think nice thoughts, if I can just face today and say I need to forgive myself, then I can move forward. And a lot of people are, are trying really hard to do that. And, and we kept staring, keep staring in the window or in the, in the mirror and we say, Look, if I can just forgive myself, then I can move forward. And, and you know what? That's a daily kind of thing, forgiving oneself. But the thing is with that is there's a reason why when we take that approach to just starting there, to forgive ourselves, our subconscious and our, our soul knows this, we can't forgive ourselves for things that truly were wrong. Whether it be ways we were hurt, whether it be ways we hurt others, whether it be ways we truly hurt our relationship with God, we know it's wrong. And the beginnings of that does not come from just staring at ourselves and saying, I forgive you, because we do not have it in ourselves to just simply absolve ourselves of sin and brokenness and pain. We need something that has a bigger impact than that. I pray you know this today. But as we face the issues of being pickpocketed by our past, We have a God who comes near today to teach us and to show us what that relationship brings. I want to turn with you to that gospel reading we read just a few moments ago from John chapter 14. And in it, we we are truly reminded of an incredible encounter with Jesus. I love the fact that we find that, that when Jesus has interactions with people, 
And, and when Jesus enters into relationships, we, a lot of times that, that mindset, Jesus only hung out with religious people, or Jesus only hung out with those who are uh, considered holy or considered to have their life together. And, and I, I just love it how refreshing it is to read the Gospels and to realize that the people who were most drawn to Jesus were people who truly felt hurt, broken, on the outside looking in. People who seemingly were forgotten or had no chance. And we have this situation that, that comes up. Jesus, it says that he had to pass through, did you read that? From, he had to pass through Samaria. And, and, and it's kind of interesting because when you're a Jew and you're Jewish, back in those days, there was never a reason to have to pass through Samaria. In fact, uh, Jews would do everything they could to avoid Samaria. It, it was, they hated Samaria, and they considered them unclean, they considered them traitors, they considered them, they were uh, against them politically, theologically, and socially. They were people disrespected, unloved, hated at all costs. You would avoid Samaria. And Jews would often go many, many miles out of the way to go around Samaria rather than go through Samaria. And yet John tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria because there's something God is about to do and it's a moment of significance. He enters into this little town called Sychar and, and we find out that, that while he's there, uh, he sits down at the well. The disciples go into town to go buy some food. He sits down there. This, this is Jacob's well. We find out Jacob dug this well. It's been there for many, many years. Uh, he's resting. He's weary from the travels. And, and here comes this woman. And, and she's got, in, in that culture, and you'd think, okay, there's two strikes. And I'm saying, in that culture, two strikes. She's a Samaritan, number one, and she's a woman, number two. And Jewish men did not talk to Samaritans and did not talk to a woman unless she was his wife. And Jesus is breaking through the social norms, the political norms, the economic and, and, uh, and, and, and ethnic norms of the day. And Jesus has a conversation with this woman. And how does he strike it up? He says, hey, could, could you get me a drink? And, and she's got the bucket, she's drawing water. It's like, well, how, how can you talk to me? I'm a Samaritan and, and you're a Jew. And, 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 and you're just this, this breakdown of cultural norms that Jesus brings in this conversation. And then this opens the door for a spiritual conversation. And he says, if you knew who he was talking to, you, he, he would give you living water and you would never thirst again. And she's like, hey, that sounds, sounds really good. I, I'm tired of being overwhelmed and, and drawing water here and having to come here. And, and if you could give me some of that water, yeah, I, I accept. I want some of that water. And, and they get into this conversation and Jesus, he cuts to the chase and, and he seemingly brings up pain and struggle from her past. He cuts to the chase and he says, well, tell your husband to come here. And she says, well, I, I don't have a husband. And, and that's where he says, you're right, you, you don't because I know uh, the, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with currently is not your husband. And, and you know what? It was true, living with a man outside of marriage who's sinful. And, and even though our culture says that's okay today, guess what? It's still not okay. It's still sinful. It's still outside of God's plan. And this is a, a, what would seem to be a shame-filled moment for this woman. And yet Jesus isn't bringing this up to shame her. He's bringing it up to bring health and well-being and healing. Because that's what God does. He brings up the pain of her past and she realizes, realizes this is not just any guy. He knows me. 
He says, I, I can tell you're a prophet. And, and that goes further in the conversation. And, and she says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And that's when Jesus declares, I, the one who am speaking to you, am he. This is an amazing moment. Here's a woman, as many scholars believe, uh, not only is, is in a broken relationship or a broken place in her relationship with God until this moment, but as many believe in her small town, also probably was very, very chastised, very pointed out and singled out and talked about and gossiped about because here she was in all of these marriages and, and, and here she is now living with a man who's not her husband. And, and imagine all the pain in there. We, we don't know her whole story, how she was hurt in that. Did she have husbands that left her? Did, did she have husbands that passed away? Did she have husbands that, that abused her? We don't know. But we know this is a very troubled, troubled woman in, in a very broken place. And probably very callous to that brokenness and just trying to survive. Whether it be through guilt and shame and pain from her past. And here she has an interaction with Jesus. Now many scholars believe this, that as this woman was probably chastised, one of the signs of that is the fact she comes to the well in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. You, you didn't go to the well to draw water when it was hot. You went in the morning to get water for the day when it was cool. That's when everybody gathered there and there was a sense of community to that. She's not there. She's there by herself. And very likely it's because she is ashamed and she is avoiding those who are talking about her. She's avoiding all of those who would say those, those hurtful things about her. She's coming there by herself. And yet she's not alone. Because she has an encounter with the grace of God and the one who offers her living water. Now here's the question. How does this redefine her? How does this redefine how she looks at her identity and who she is? Well, to understand that, we just have to keep reading. I want to encourage you to get the scriptures out in the, in the worship Bible because this incredible story goes on. And in fact, if we turn to John chapter 4, I want to read, let's go to John chapter 4, verse 28 in the worship Bible. Seriously, open the scripture because I want you to see this. It's not going to be on the screen. Let's open the scripture for a moment. John chapter 4, uh, verse 28. One of my favorite, favorite verses in all of the Bible. It's just awesome. John chapter 4, verse 28. And if you have it, read it with me. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, now pause it for a second, what did she leave behind? Her water jar. Wait a minute, didn't she come to the well to draw water that day? She leaves her water jar behind. Why? Because she's experienced living water. Water that has nourished her and satisfied her and relinquished her thirst for life in ways that we can't even imagine because God can do anything. And to notice what God does in her life in the moments that follow. She says this in verse 29. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Now think about this. This woman who is an outcast in her town goes into the middle of town and shouts it out, come and meet the guy who knows everything about me. 
her past and her reality becomes part of her testimony. It's not something she covers up or suppresses or pushes down. No, she comes out and says, hey, this, is, this, is, this man knows me. Could this be the Messiah? And then you fast forward and you realize what happens as a result of her testimony and her witness. Verse 29, or 39, it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. God takes a woman who has a troubled, broken past, and he uses it for witness by the grace of God. Do you see how God can change and transform our identity when it's been robbed or pickpocketed from our past and remove the cloud and give us the vision to see who God has called us to be and who we are in Jesus. I love what Paul says, that you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come when you're in Christ. I love what it says in, in how we began our worship today and, and when we called on God and, and that verse that, that, that John writes, you know, if we, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's more than just a nice thought. That changes our identity. It restores our identity to what God intended. Rather than being stuck in our past, rather than not being able to see out the windshield for the future, God restores us to be able to see our past and see that as a place where God met us with his grace and gives us vision for the future to live for him and proclaim it and make it part of our testimony. This is who I am, restored by a God who loves me and a God who saved me and a God who has done all that is necessary that I might live for him today. You know, Shane and I were overwhelmed. We're like, how are we going to pay for this? $700. I mean, we just didn't have it. And, and I'm thinking, this is going to mess up our, our monthly budget. And, and like, what are we going to do? And, and the bank finally says, come on down to the bank. And, and we'll walk you through what to do next. Like, oh, this is, this is not going to be good. And, and together we go to the bank. And, and, and the teller says, yeah, step over here. And, and uh, so point out which charges are fraudulent, which ones you, and I pointed these out, and this, these is where our, our, our identity had been stolen, and we didn't charge that, we didn't charge that, but I'll tell you, we're stuck with the bill, and it's like, are you kidding me? And then they said, no, 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 just relax. And, and with that, they said, oh, come over here, and um, can we see your driver's license? She gets her driver's license, oh, okay, thank you, and, and uh, sign right here, she signed, and then they handed her a brand new card, and she says, this is your new card. The old one, it's deactivated. It's, that, that identity doesn't exist anymore. This is your new card. And I said, yeah, but what about all those charges? And they said, oh, that's handled. You don't have to worry about those. Those will be taken off your account. I'm like, what? Who pays for that? They said, part of the deal. That's what the credit card company does. They will handle that. Like, Are you kidding me? I mean, that, somebody pays for that? Who's paying for that? And they handle that. I, really? And all was restored. And all is made new. And our God does that for us. He pays 
the price. That's what our Savior has come to do as a God who not only dies for us and rises again, but restores our identity in him. Today's a new day. We've been pickpocketed by our past far too long. It's time to live in the presence of our God into the future. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.